Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. Well, we are here with Captain Dean Ali. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really cool. It is really cool, you know, because we just came back from Pensacola Beach, and you and I were both out there. Uh, I think you presented out there a day or two before I got out there, and I presented for a day, and it was it was just great seeing you out there and uh, and sharing the stage with you. Oh, it was gosh, it was really awesome, and uh, I think we all loved your class. It was neat hearing the feedback and. Um, I think that was the first time I've heard you speak more than like an hour. So that was uh, pretty fun. And you don't know this, but on the flight home, I listened to like three episodes of your podcast because we were blown away by some of the interviews you've had here. Well, you know, it's pretty cool. The, the whole idea behind Flashpoint is, is quite simple. When I write books, I would have conversations with people and with the thought of utilizing some of that content in, in some of the books, what happened with Flashpoint is I said, look, I'm working on a new book, which is actually titled Flashpoint. But what I'm going to do this time is when I interview people, I'm just going to make these interviews uh, available for everybody to listen to. And so it's not really, it's just, it's really a passion project more than anything else. And so what I do is I invite people on that I want to have conversations with. And what's really cool about this is um, we're going to talk about a topic that I think is very important. But before we get into that, I just want to ask if you could share a little bit about your your background and your journey into the fire service. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Uh, so I've been in the fire service for 13 years now. Uh, before that, my uh, first grown-up job was a police officer. I was uh, one of those kids that grew up watching cops and thought that was just the greatest thing in the world. So right after college, I joined the police department. And within a few years, I just realized it wasn't the right fit for me. I uh, started running calls with the fire department and noticing that their job is way cooler. They show up hmm. and if they can fix something, they fix it. If they can't, they go back to the station and eat good meals, watch movies, sleep. Uh, so it was ironic. Um, the year when I started to get a little burned out on law enforcement, the television show Rescue Me uh, came out with season two where they had a female firefighter. And up until that point, I had no clue that women could be firefighters. So I uh, saw her and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I applied and uh, got on with the Raleigh Fire Department where I've been for 13 years. Uh, it's been a pretty awesome run. That's pretty awesome. And I like that you started as a police officer because I often hear this. My brother was one of them. He started as a police officer, became a firefighter. I very rarely hear it go in the other direction, though, where they it started doesn't. here and went there. It, it really doesn't that much. I, I do know one in particular, but his father was the fire chief. So, I mean, a police chief, forgive me. So he kind of made that move there. And, well, that, that's great. Now, you had a really interesting article that was in fire engineering not too long ago, sleep, a missing link to cancer prevention. And I thought, you know, this is something that, that we need to talk about. Cause I think we're, we're like basically a chronically sleep de uh, or sleep deprived society. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. All right. So we talk about health a lot. We talk about diet a lot. We talk about exercise a lot. And it seems like the missing component 
is sleep. And you have a great insight into that. So maybe you could just, uh, and I don't really know exactly how we can start this conversation, except this to ask you why you started researching this to begin with. Did you have a problem sleeping? Actually, so I left this part out when I was uh, giving you my little bio, but for me, I started researching suicide um, about five years ago. And it was uh, just an ironic uh, time period in my life. I had gone back to school, graduate school. I had an assignment. I reached out to one of our safety chiefs for insight on maybe something I could research. And this was uh, fall of 2015 before we were even talking much about mental health in the fire service. And he asked me to look into firefighter suicide, which kind of blew me away because it wasn't something that I'd ever heard anybody mention in the fire service. And I said ironic because at that time I had things happening in my personal life and I was pretty depressed. I didn't realize how depressed I was, but I was pretty depressed and it had gotten so bad to where uh, the thought of suicide had crossed my mind. But it was something that was so shameful that I didn't share it. I kept it to myself. And as I got involved in the research, I realized that I wasn't alone. I realized that it was happening quite often. Um, and I just got obsessed with trying to find out why suicide occurs in the fire service. Um, and the more I, I went down and started researching this and the more I started finding solutions, like you just mentioned, sleep became a really significant link. And I actually thought it was really neat last week in Pensacola uh, during your class when you talked about sleep, because something that I've noticed is, you know, people like me who speak on mental health um, or speak on like stuff like sleep, you almost feel like a freelancer at those stages because uh, you have the, you know, the tactical people, the leadership people, and sleep is never brought up and never discussed. So the fact that you brought it up, the fact that you discussed it, I was like, wow, okay, he knows something. This is awesome. This is exciting. Um, and like you said, so, you know, I discovered in looking at suicide for the fire service, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about PTSD. We talk about trauma. We talk about, you know, relationships and everything that we miss mention that can be a contributor to suicide ends up being a correlate. And if you understand relationships like correlates, um, causal factors, non-causal factors, uh, correlates are not very good indicators and they're not very good treatment targets. Non-causal factors are the same way. They're a little better, but they're still not very good treatment targets. But when you find a causal link, that's where the treatment target is. And sleep is one defined causal factor um, that leads to depression, PTSD, uh, and suicide. And then, like you mentioned earlier, to, uh, to metabolic disorders, cardiac events, cancers, um, Sleep is attributed to everything that's harming us and poor sleep specifically. Yeah. And it's very, it's really interesting. Now to bring the listener up to speed on what I was talking about in class, uh, one of the things I was talking about with sleep is how my, my resistance gets really low. And I feel like I, I, I don't have a great learning capacity. I don't have a great retention capacity. I don't have a great awareness capacity if I don't get enough sleep. And I don't mean just one night. And although that's bad enough with me, but several nights. And one of the things I, I started doing was I'm right now in my office and my office is downstairs. My bedroom's upstairs. One of the things I started doing was leaving my phone down here to charge at night. So if I happen to wake up, roll over and wake up at two, three o'clock in the morning, I don't roll over, turn, uh, look at my screen on my phone and then I'm up for the next three hours because that's the habit I was getting into. And the next thing I know, I finally get to sleep. 
And then my alarm's going off and I'm waking back up. And then I spend the whole day wishing that I just got more sleep. And that was one of the things I was talking about with sleep. But uh, I like that you had brought up its connection with suicide because it seems like like that's something that a lot of people are talking about PTSD, they're talking about anxiety, depression, suicide. And I'm glad they're talking about it. I'm really glad they're talking about it because as I mentioned in that class, I teach a, a, um, a Mayday class as well. And the very first thing I teach in this class is the time and place for you to make the decision to call for a Mayday is right here, right now in this room, not when you get in trouble because and you know this, but but the biggest reason why a person wouldn't call a mayday when they're in trouble is is because they might be embarrassed or they might look at it as a sign of weakness or they might get ridiculed for doing it. So make the decision now that if you're in trouble, you're going to just call for it. You're going to ask for it. You're going to uh, pick up that phone and call somebody. And if you do that, uh, you know, we have a support system in the fire service. Not only that, I mean... Everybody has a support system, but we have a very strong one here. So I just wanted to put that on the table so people kind of knew a, a little bit of what I was talking about. Uh, but back to sleep, when with your research that you've done, you've done a lot more than me. Like, what do you think is a sufficient time sleep? Six hours, seven hours? Believe it or not, it's uh, seven to nine hours. And okay which when I say it, everybody kind of rolls their eyes and laugh and they're, they're like, there's no way. And um, it's because it's not just the fire service, it's society. Like we're at this point where we're trying to do so much. Uh, and we look at sleep as just being a luxury. We look at, you know, if you sleep seven, eight hours that you're lazy, that you're not doing enough. Um, but um, the research over and over again um, has found that you need seven to nine hours um to recover sufficiently. And the reason that that number is critical is because when you sleep, you go through several stages, um, four to five, and each stage is 90 minutes long. And what I found that kind of really opened my eyes and, and, and scared me into wanting to sleep more is you've got two types of sleep. You have your rapid eye movement sleep and then your non-rapid eye movement sleep. And your non-rapid eye movement sleep, that's where your body recovers. And that's actually um, part of where mental health recovers. But your rapid eye movement sleep, the other part of the sleep, that's where memory and um, cognition recovers. And that's what's really critical for memory and cognition. And specifically, um, when thinking about PTSD, uh, in order to process memories, in order not to be traumatized, a memory has to be processed and it has to move out of the fight or flight brain. Uh, so that generally happens in your REM sleep, which is uh, uh, Dr. Vandekult calls it uh, inbuilt therapy. Uh, rapid eye movement sleep is inbuilt therapy. And so this is important because you might, if, let's say you have, um, you have your five cycles that you go through the night, five 90 minute cycles. The first one, you might have five minutes of REM sleep. The second one, a little bit more. And by the last cycle, you're going to have most of your REM sleep. Uh, the last cycle is about 75% REM sleep in that 90 minute cycle. So, um, you know, over an hour of REM sleep. So if you're going to bed at 11 o'clock and waking up at five o'clock, you're robbing yourself of one full cycle, one full 90 minute cycle. And you're robbing yourself of almost all of the REM sleep that you need. So if you do that consistently, 
you're consistently not allowing yourself um, to have memories processed, memories recovered. And now they're finding that that's associated with Alzheimer's, dementia, PTSD. Um, so unfortunately, you can't get by with six hours. I mean, you can, but you're not going to, you're not going to be healthy long-term if you're just getting by with six hours, you've got to have that seven to nine. Well, yeah. And that's something I need to work on for sure. One of the things that, uh, that I started doing, it also helps me out. Not only do I not bring my phone up to my bedroom at night, but I keep a pad and a, and a, and a piece of paper right next to my bed. And actually it just happened to me last night. I woke up, I don't know what time it was. I'm thinking it's about maybe two o'clock, right? I wake up and I had something on my mind and I thought, oh, I need to, I need to remember this. And then I just turned around, I put up the pad, I, I, I wrote it down, put it aside. And then my mind's clear. Cause if I don't do that, Dina, I'm telling you right now, I'll just start thinking about, I'm an overthinker. I don't know if you're an overthinker, but in my class, I always ask, um, how many people in the room are overthinkers? And it's funny. I, I find that the majority of hands go up. And then I give that, this scenario. Here's what stinks about being an overthinker. You wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and you start thinking about things that will probably never happen. And you're always thinking about the worst case scenario. And you always start stressing about it, and it'll cause anxiety. But you find yourself, uh, your mind just gets preoccupied with scenarios that probably won't happen. And for me, what I have to do is I just need to get it out of my mind. So that's why I sleep with that pad and that paper. I write this thing down. Then I just try to just go blank. And my boys, are, it's funny because every now and then, uh, and I have two, two real little boys, you know, not that, that little, but they're nine and 11. But for years, if I go in and I sit down with them in a room, um, they'll be like, daddy, can you lay down with us for a little bit? It's hard to say no, you know? So I'm like, okay, I'll lay down with you for a little bit. And they go to sleep right away when I'm there. So it's like, they get this sense of comfort. And, and I, and I often think about this. I think sometimes I'll walk in and it'll be 11 o'clock and I'll notice that my 11 year old's still awake. And I'll say, you can't sleep. He's like, no, dad, I can't sleep. So I go in, I lay down with him, and two minutes later, he's already asleep. So whatever's going on in his mind, maybe he just needs that little bit of comfort. But what's really interesting is how in our job as firefighters, it's hard to get a good night's sleep. I mean, if you're a career firefighter, I can't even remember one night in my last 10 years as being a firefighter where I slept through the night. And that includes nights where we didn't even have calls. Because I was just conditioned to wake up at a certain time anyway. And I just heard something today um, listening to Matthew Walker, who you're familiar with, sleep expert and neuroscientist. But I heard the World Health Organization has classified any form of nighttime shift work as a probable carcinogen. That's pretty frightening when you think about that. Yeah, no. And uh, when you further like dive into his work on that, it makes absolute sense. Uh, and in fact, in Europe, uh, they have paid um, workers' compensation benefits to shift workers who have um, been diagnosed with cancer. And that was really fascinating to see that. But as he dives deeper into his explanation of that, I never knew this, but um, one night of insufficient sleep can render 70% of our um, killer cells, our natural killer cells, ineffective. Um, so something else I didn't realize is every day cancer is entering your body. Like every day you have cancer entering your body 
and your body has these killer cells um, that take care of it. But with insufficient sleep, those are rendered ineffective. And in fact, like right now, you know, the COVID vaccine is available and, you know, the flu, the flu shot. Poor sleep will also render those, um, the immunity from those ineffective as well. Not completely ineffective, but like 50% ineffective. But Dr. Walker explained how poor sleep impacts cancer in two different ways. So first of all, it renders those killer cells ineffective, meaning they're going to have a harder time fighting off cancer and preventing cancer from even starting. But secondly, once cancer is entered the body, once um, there is some sort of malignant tumor, uh, with insufficient sleep, chronic insufficient sleep, your body goes into fight or flight or um, basically chronic inflammation, which I never quite understood this until studying the sleep, what it means when you're in chronic inflammation. Um, and the analogy Dr. Walker uses when discussing the chronic inflammation is basically, um, you know, that fight or flight. So you're revved up, but he said, think of a car, um, a car that, you know, is in neutral and, and you're pushing on the gas pedal. What is it doing to all the pistons and gaskets and everything? Um, it's damaging them. So when you're in chronic inflammation, your body's revved up and it's damaging um, all the cells, everything that's beneficial. But in a study done at the University of Chicago um, on mice, they infected them with tumors. They placed them on their backs and they took one group and that group was able to have sufficient sleep. The second group, they kept up later, woke up earlier. The group that had insufficient sleep had 20% larger um, sized tumors. And they found that when you are in chronic inflammation, it's basically a breeding ground for cancer to grow. So um, it increases the chance for cancer to metastasize and go all over the body and continue to grow. Um, so, you know, the, that's the reason why it's considered now a probable carcinogen because of the effects of poor sleep on your cancer fighting cells and then the effects of poor sleep on your cancer causing cells. Wow. That's fascinating when you think about it. And, you know, I also heard him talk about uh, in the springtime, it, this is how, how, how quick this can happen in the springtime. When we lose one hour of sleep during daylight savings time, there's a 24% increase in heart attacks the following day. And in the autumn, when we gain an hour of sleep, there's a 21% reduction in heart attacks and how there's a similar profile to things like vehicle accidents and suicide rates, which makes it, this is why I want to have this conversation and share this with everybody, because it's something like you mentioned earlier, when we started this uh, podcast, nobody's really talking about it and, or at least not enough people are talking about it. And it's one area that we need to focus on. But what I really appreciate about you and why I wanted to have you come on and, and be the one to have this conversation is, is you're kind of, you're, you're setting this pace with this because I've been hearing, I've been seeing your articles. I've been hearing you did a talk there. You did a talk here. I hope more people bring you in to do talks on this as well as other things. Uh, but I want to, I want to bring this full circle and then talk a little bit more about you, but what can a person do to get better sleep? What are the things we have to do to make sure we can get those seven to nine hours if you struggle? Yeah. And like you, um, and I, I just want to say before we dive into that, I really appreciated when you talked about, um, you know, the anxiety at night and overthinking, uh, because I do the exact same thing and I used to beat myself up over it. So hearing somebody like you say that you do the same thing, I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm kind of normal. Good. Um, and then also well, yeah, what's, what's cool. What's cool about it is, is this, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, but what I want to say is what, what's cool about it is 
uh, when we are honest with all this stuff, you realize that we're all in the same boat. It's like I, when I when I teach a class, Dina, I don't want people to come there and think you're you're coming to me, you know, the top leadership expert in in the fire service or whatever. No, what you're coming is you're you're coming to meet a person who's very dedicated to be a student of leadership, and in that, I find that the way that I communicate is in a very transparent way. I'm going to tell with you things that I've done right, but I'm going to tell you things I've done wrong. And I'm going to tell you things I haven't figured out yet. And this is one of the ones I've struggled to figure out for a long time. Uh, you know, I have been in a situation where I've, I've created more stress on myself than I needed to. And somebody once asked me how I deal with critics. I'll tell you how I deal with critics. It's, it's not that hard for me to deal with critics because, because if anybody knew how critical I was of myself, they'd realize no one else could be any more critical of me than I am of myself and have been my entire life. Um, and that's what I mean by being an overthinker and having sleepless nights. But again, thank you for, for saying that. But, but back to uh, uh, what we can do. What can we do to get a good night's sleep? And by the way, and when you said that you write things down, I looked at the, my seat partner and we both were like, that's a great idea. Cause I think that happens to everybody. You have yeah. the most prolific thought and then the next morning it's gone. So writing something down. Yeah, well, there's a it lot is. Of, yeah, no, there's a lot of things we can do. So first of all, I'm glad you asked cause I can mention this. Uh, so it's 10 o'clock here. I work tomorrow. Um, so the nights before shift, I drink um, a sleep formula and it has magnesium and zinc. It's all natural. Um, there's no controlled substances, no alcohol, um, but magnesium and zinc, are um, both two things that actually help sleep uh, along with heart cherry juice. They help uh, reduce inflammation and actually help you get more restful sleep. And I found it works. So I'm glad I can bring that up. So as I'm drinking, Good. people are like, what's she drinking? Let's um, see if we can get an endorsement deal for them for you. Right. So small things to start with. So first of all, and uh, you know, I, I think I'm a decent person to have this conversation because right now I'm on one of the busiest engines in Raleigh. So we mm -hmm. are up most of the night. Um, so I've had to change lifestyle a bit and I've had to change, uh, some of my habits and I'm fortunate because I'm a captain now. So I make a little more money, so I don't have to work as much part-time as I used to. So I know a lot of things that I've changed, not everybody can do, especially people who have small kids at home. Uh, one of my best friends has four kids under the age of four at home. Mm. And so when he gets off work, there's no getting a nap or recovering. Like he's with the kids. Well, it sounds like he wasn't sleeping much beforehand anyway. <laughs> right. They were late starters. Um, late <laughs> bloomers. But so one of the uh, number one things uh, that Dr. Walker recommends is uh, consistent bedtimes and consistent awake times. And I know for us that work shift work, it's like, are you freaking kidding me? There's no way we can't predict right. we're gonna, when we're going to get calls. But at home, it is consistent bedtime routine. So like me, I drink this. Um, I have a Kindle and my Kindle, it's not an iPad, it's a Kindle. So there's no blue light on it. So right. an hour before bed, um, I try not to have any devices. Uh, I use the Kindle because it actually, um, reading just helps to relax me. And since there's no blue light, um, it doesn't affect the melatonin release. So uh, with humans, uh, melatonin's released when it's dark outside. And this has been going on for eons and eons, but in the last 250 years with the invention of light and all these devices, we are trying to alter our biology and trying to alter the way that we've been living our entire existence. Um, and it's negatively affecting us because melatonin, when it's released, it signals to our bodies to start the process to sleep. Um, so when you are on your telephone, when you're on an iPad, um, you know, when you're watching TV, all that stuff, you're, you're emitting the blue light 
and you're basically suppressing the melatonin, which makes it harder to sleep. So um, first and foremost, an hour before bed, just try not to be on devices. I like how you said that you keep your phone in a separate room. Um, that's a great idea. And I do the same thing because like you, uh, you know, you might wake up and not be able to sleep. So you want to look at your phone. Well, what ends up happening is you, you know, you start going down in a rabbit hole um, or you might read something that causes anxiety and worry. So keeping the phone away is awesome. I actually keep my Kindle nearby. Uh, Dr. Walker recommends that if you get up at three and you can't sleep to go to a different room and um, read something, um, do something that's really boring and not high energy. And then as you get really sleepy, come back. Um, for me, I actually just open up the Kindle and that works for me. So um, trying to make a consistent bedtime routine and that can work at the firehouse. I never believed it until uh, last year, we, our firehouse was getting rebuilt. So we moved in with another company and they're a busy company as well. And one of the officers there, she went to bed every day at like eight o'clock. And I was like, and she's just going to get woken up soon. Is she crazy? But as I started paying attention, I noticed that sometimes between eight and 11, things actually slow down a bit. So sometimes she was getting a good two hours of sleep uh, before, you know, that 11 o'clock call or that midnight call. Um, so she was getting a full sleep cycle, um, which is so critical. And in fact, uh, Dr. Walker and several others recommend that if you're going to be up all night, if you're, you know, a nurse or somebody that's me up all night or you're on a busy rig and it's Friday or Saturday, they recommend taking at least a 90 minute nap late in the afternoon. And that will get you a full cycle and it actually will make you, um, it'll give you more energy and it'll, it'll reduce the chances of having accidents. Like you, um, I think you did a little research today, finding out how, you know, poor sleep increases our risk of accidents. I mean, that's why with truck drivers, um, they had to limit the hours that they were driving because of the accidents that they were having. So naps, if you're going to be up are actually important. If you need to fall asleep, if you have insomnia, if you're at home, don't take a nap. Um, each hour that you're awake, um, sleep drive builds within your body. This thing called adenosine is released. And so your sleep drive increases with every hour. So if you take a nap, you, you erase a little bit of that sleep drive. So of course it's going to make it harder to sleep. Something that I never knew and I realized how critically important it is, is your bedroom is only for two things. They say, Dr. Walker says sleep and sex. And then if I have a Kindle reading the Kindle, um, mm. if you're in your bedroom doing work, if you're in your bedroom, watching TV, um, playing with the kids, uh, doing life, your body doesn't recognize the trigger that this is a place for sleep. Mm. If your bedroom is reserved only for sleep and sex, um, then your body recognizes the trigger to sleep. So at the firehouse, I always wondered why I fall asleep so well. Like when I go to my cube, like I'm out, but at home I'm not, or if we get a call, I come back and I have a hard time. And I realized it's because of my cube. I don't have a TV. Um, I don't do anything. I usually am on the day side until it's time to go to bed. And when I go to my cube, all I do is sleep. So I fall asleep a lot quicker. And I noticed some of the guys I work with, you know, they have TVs in their cubes, they're on the phone, they're doing stuff. And I realized like that, that's why their body doesn't recognize that that's a place for sleep. So that, that's very interesting. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating. It's, it's very simple too. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's, that's what makes it so interesting is because it, it's just common sense. Yeah. And that's what, uh, the amazing thing about all of it is about everything that we can do to improve our sleep is common sense. And what about temperature? Like when I go into my room, I like I like a, a colder room and, and bundling up. My wife likes a warmer room. And so we battle all the time. So usually what happens is she goes to bed and I uh, change the temperature so it's a little bit cooler. What kind of temperature do you want? 
I do that actually at work. I'm, I'm that person that sneaks over to the thermostat and jocks it down. So um, Dr. Walker recommends uh, two degrees uh, below your core temperature. Um, you need to drop your core temperature two degrees to get into that good deep sleep. So he actually recommends 67 degrees. So at my house, I keep it at 66. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but he recommends two degrees cooler. And um, that's actually a suggestion for the fire service and for firehouses is ensuring that the dorms, the temperature is brought down cooler. And then also, you know, no lights at all, you know, making sure there's absolutely no light in that room, bringing the temperature down. Um, and then of course, limiting any sort of distraction like snoring. So I know at home that's harder to do, but at work, that's why, you know, the cubes where everybody can hear each other is detrimental. Yeah. Especially when there's a snore or whatnot. Um, something else that, uh, it's hard for us to individually implement, but I know Portland fire department has done this, but waking up only the unit going on the call. So trying to reduce those interruptions. Um, something that I think is important for us to talk about and to recognize individually though, is recognizing sleep disorders um, and specifically sleep apnea. So if your partner or spouse um, gets really mad at you because you snore a lot, you truly need to get evaluated for a sleep disorder. Um, and Chief DeGrice, he shares his story. And I think his story was pretty powerful because he ended up getting, um, you know, diagnosed with a sleep disorder and being prescribed a CPAP device. And when he did a sleep study, he had no idea, but every hour he was waking up like every other minute, but he didn't know. So he was constantly waking up and he was never getting true restorative sleep. So in essence, he, his body wasn't recovering. His mind wasn't recovering. So since getting the CPAP device, um, that stopped. Um, and he's actually getting better sleep. So in a study of, I believe it was 6,000 firefighters, uh, they did a study of a large number of firefighters. This was done in 2016. Uh, of that group, they found 37% had sleep disorders. And of those 37%, only 80, I'm sorry, of those 37% who had sleep disorders, 81% had no idea that they had it. So most of them were walking around with sleep disorders and didn't know. So um, definitely, you know, getting evaluated for a sleep disorder can make a big difference if you have one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you don't know now. And I appreciate everything. I hope that somebody listens to this. I hope plenty of people listen to this and take something away that can help them. And, but one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on specifically is just a few days ago, I saw the greatest video about you and I want you to share this because you know what my message is all about with step up and lead and step up your teamwork. And it's about treating people right. And a matter of fact, at the end of my class, uh, I gave several examples of really great customer service, people that went above and beyond to show why we do what we do. And the whole point of, of the classes. And even last night I did a webinar and, and said the, to the officers that I had on this webinar, you never have to look at yourself in a mirror and wonder if you ever did anything important or valuable with your life. If you are a firefighter or a police officer, if you're a person that answers that call to somebody in distress, I don't know that there's anything better you can do uh, to actually contribute to society and, and show that, that you care and to be able to put other people first. And you just had a very interesting scenario happen. I don't want to put you on the spot. I didn't want to uh, kind of bring you in and make you tell your own story, but you had a fire 
and you saw somebody needed help beyond that fire and you put a fundraiser together. And can you please share this story with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's, it's ironic that we're talking about sleep and how um, helping her actually helped me sleep. So uh, okay. it's, it's full circle. So yeah, we got dispatched to a shed fire. So, and it was new year's Eve and we're a pretty gun ho crew. So we were super stoked and we get there and it's a shed fire and there's a lot of fire. Um, so, you know, it was like a great fire. We always say we want to go to a fire. We don't want anybody's stuff to burn up, but we want to go to a fire. So this is exactly what we wanted. Um, well, after uh, we knocked the fire down and I walked around, I noticed that um, there was an AC unit on the wall. And I was like, that's, that's weird that they have an AC unit on this wall. And I mean, everything inside was burned up. So it was dark. I couldn't tell what exactly was inside. So I walked over to the homeowner and just to find out, you know, what was going on, what could have been left on. And I found out that it was a 76 year old woman that lived in there. And 2019's just been an awful year for her. Uh, she lost her house in about March. Um, she got evicted. Uh, her son died in April of COVID. Um, he's actually from New Jersey and um, she was, she's disabled. So she's blind in one eye and she can't walk up and down stairs. So she moved to her sister's house, but um, all the rooms were upstairs. So she decided that she'd just rather live outside in the shed. So the shed caught on fire and she lost everything. And being on that call, things changed very quickly. It went from being, this is awesome. We're fighting fire to this really sucks because you know, we came here, we put out the fire and we did not do anything to help this person. And I remember, um, I actually, you know, talking to her, I delayed like clearing the scene because I was struggling to leave because I was like, I haven't done anything for her. And I was just, I felt so bad. I was, you know, is there anything else you need? Is there anything I could second do for you? And I knew the answer. I knew the answer was no, but there was just something that was just pulling on me. And I, I just struggled to leave that call. So, got back to the firehouse and I just couldn't sleep that night. Uh, between calls, I, all I did was toss and turn. And I thought about her and it just made me sad thinking about her life circumstances. The fact that she's 76 and she's living in a shed and then thinking about the fact that she lost everything. And, you know, I, like you said, how in the middle of the night, you kind of ruminate on things. You know, I started thinking like, man, I bet the insurance isn't going to cover her stuff because it's outside in a shed. Um, so I got off, I got home the next morning and I wanted to lay down cause I was exhausted. And again, as soon as I lay down, I just couldn't get her off my mind. It just, it made me really sad and it, it just made me feel really crappy leaving and not doing a thing to make her. I mean, I, I just felt really bad. And I think on top of that, where we are with this COVID, you know, I, I think a lot of us are getting that compassion fatigue, that burnout, um, just tiredness. And it was just, it was just overwhelming to me that I couldn't do anything to help her. So I just went on Facebook and a very simple like post, not even a lot of details. And I said, the last fire we had was a 76 year old woman who lost everything. You know, I'd like to get her a gift card. Cause I found out too, while we were there, she asked me um, when I asked her if there's anything else we can do for her, she was like, can you please try to find my keys? Um, my keys were in the door and I need them because I'm still working. I've got to get to work tomorrow and I need to get in my car. So I looked all over and could not find her keys. And I can only imagine that they burned up as well. So I just felt awful. Like now she can't get in her car. She's lost everything she owns. So I want to raise a little bit of money just to replace her car keys and maybe get her some clothes. And I was blown away uh, immediately. Friends from all over started donating family, friends and fire service colleagues. And I think that's what I realized is so cool about like you and I having the opportunity to engage with people across the country because mm -hmm. one of the first people to donate um, was a firefighter from Idaho. 
who has a podcast. He donated $400. He said wow. his, his resolution um, that his family made was to, was to help other people this year. And he, he thanked me. He was like, thank you for giving me an opportunity to, to follow through with this. Um, so very quickly, uh, we, we raised quite a bit of money for her. And then we found out that if there was a chairlift, she could live in her sister's house. Um, so I reached out to a nonprofit company in our area uh, and they were able to get a chairlift donated. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. I went from not being able to sleep out of worry to I couldn't sleep out of excitement <laughs> to I was able to sleep better at night knowing that, knowing that she was taken care of. So in the end, um, I, I'd be selfish if I said I'm a wonderful person who did this to help another human being because really and truly, and I mean this um, 100%, that I did it to help myself just as much. And everybody who contributed helped me because I felt so much better because I really felt crappy. It just, it was a blow. And it, it was just another thing that just brought me down a little bit. And very quickly with everybody stepping up, um, it, it made a big difference for me. And then of course, for her, uh, we actually saw her today and she pulled me tight and she was like, you're my angel for two reasons. I've never heard a female firefighter. Um, and thank you for what you did. So that was kind of cool. That's well, and I want to thank you for what you did too, because that's a perfect example of what it means to step up and lead. And, and I love that. So I'm really proud of you and grateful that you shared that story. And I'll, I'll tell you this because you talked about social media, and social media could be a wonderful thing, it could also be a terrible thing, depending on how you use it. But one day, I'm actually at a fire station. Seven o'clock at night and I can't sleep. I don't even remember. I just remember I'm kind of looking at my phone and I just popped Facebook on real quick. And a kid I went to high school with, I, it's, the, it's the first post you see. He talks about, if anyone can help this woman out, please do so. Um, and I read the post and it talks about how this woman has a son uh, with autism. And she explains how nobody's ever been to uh, or come to his birthday parties that he's invited them to. And she said, so what we're trying to do is collect birthday cards. And if anybody could send a birthday card, please send it to here. And so I send my friend a message and I said, hey, do you think this woman, if she lives in New Jersey, because the post office box was in New Jersey, I said, do you think this woman would be interested in having a, a fire engine come by her house on her son's birthday? Because I'm thinking I got contacts all over the country, you know, certainly all over the state. I'll just make a call and see if we can get an engine to stop by. And he says, I think that'd be a great idea, but I don't know her. So-and-so posted it. And then when, I, when he reached out to that person and then he reached out to the next person, it took him a few days. He finally got back to me and said, all right, we found a lady and this is where she lives. And it's right down the street from my fire station on the same exact street. I'm talking maybe three blocks down. So I get in contact with her. And we have a conversation and I said to her, um, you know, we, we, we want to send a, we're going to send some cards, but we'd like to have a, an engine stop by on his birthday. Would you, would that be okay with you? She said, ah, he would love that. That'd be amazing. And we come up with this idea, Dina, that what we're going to do is we're going to go to the local post office. We're going to pick up the cards and we're going to deliver them. So with, you know, I thought that would be pretty cool. And then I say to her, I say, what does your son like? Is he into anything? Does he watch certain shows? Uh, does he read certain books? And she says he's really into professional wrestling. I go, really? I said, would you be okay if I got him a few of those action figures and we give it to him as a gift? And I hear nothing. 
I thought I lost her for a second. And I'm, it's like on that commercial, hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And I realized now she's crying. And she comes out with, why would you do this for me? You don't even know me. And I said, I know we don't know you, but you're part of our community and our community is our family. And it was really remarkable. Now, the next day I actually had a speaking engagement. I couldn't even be there. I passed the information on to the deputy chief that came in and he was like, this is what I love about firefighters. He's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for doing this. I picked up, I went to Walmart that night before and I picked up those action figures. We had them wrapped up. They ended up picking up a cake and he even went a little further, contacted uh, some other agencies and we had a police, we had an ambulance, uh, a fire department vehicle. Our new recruits were there. And the mother of this son was texting me photos uh, that afternoon saying this was the most amazing birthday he's ever had. And I thought, that's why I love being a firefighter, because we're part of this community that once people understand, you're not just answering the call of people in distress. You're also people that can can take a what maybe wouldn't have been a great moment for someone in your community and make it a great moment by by doing what we do, which is answering the calls, but also serving our community. We're in a great position, and I'm talking career or volunteer. So I wanted to share that story uh, with you. And and what you did is just an extension of that thought, and I love it because we're doing it in New Jersey. They're doing it in Raleigh. I have tons of stories of my friends that have done it all throughout the country in Texas and in Florida and out in California. And it's great to be part of this community. So So thank you for that. You know, when you were – I think it was two years ago now because we didn't have FDIC last year. But two years ago, one of the things that I've been doing for several years is is we get about 20 people together to go to St. Elmo's on one of the nights just before uh, the whole event begins. And we have dinner. And these are my best friends and in a fire service and it's awesome we look forward to it every single year and it's a who's who of of fire service leaders that i've come to to really love and admire throughout the years two years ago i get a call from one of the uh ladies that actually comes with us every year and she says hey is it okay if i bring a friend i said yeah sure uh my friend dina ali she's and this is what she said she's an up-and-coming rock star in the fire service i said hey rock star or not she's welcome to join us I'm glad she brought you that night because I love what you're doing. I'm really proud of you. And, and I just want to thank you for, for, for making a difference in the fire service by what you're doing with articles and classes like this coming on podcasts. And then when nobody's looking, cause I know what you did for that woman wasn't for publicity, uh, but what you do when nobody's looking to try to make somebody's bad moment, a, a, a good one. I appreciate that about you. And I just wanted to thank you for it. That's awesome. That, that means a lot. I, I wondered if you'd remembered that I snuck into your dinner party that night. Cause I ended up on the table besides yours, but uh, yeah, that night was like amazing. Becky had brought me in. Uh, and then when I got there and saw all the people that were there, I was like, Oh my gosh, I am such a fraud, but this is so cool. So um, that was awesome. But um, also, no, I think it, um, I appreciate the end of your class because you had about an hour worth of um, slides about things that people had done for others. And now more than ever, we need to see that because 
you know, the first day at the conference, one of my friends came up to me and he was like, Hey, you know, I saw where you were looking for money for that lady. Do you still need any? And also thank you for doing that. I showed it to my crew. Um, and now they're inspired to do that. And I realized that over the last couple of years, I think there's been a little bit of separation between us responding to calls and us stepping up for the communities. At least I've seen it where I'm at. And mm. I was grateful in your class when you showed that because it was a reminder that this is what we're supposed to be doing and this is okay. And I've even had a few people ask me afterwards, they were like, Hey, is, is that okay? Like, was that okay to do? And I was like, I sure hope so. I did it on my day off, you know? Yeah. Um, but I sure, I mean, I sure hope that like, there's nothing wrong with taking care of people that we have the ability to take care of. And our mission statement, it's changed now, but I, I won't forget when I was in the recruit Academy, um, part of our mission statement said, that we are ambassadors to the community. And I really took that piece serious because I realized like being an ambassador to the community, I mean, it, there's such a wide variety of ways you can do that. And it's simply us being able to interact with people and be advocates for them. So I think we have a, I mean, we interact with people, I think more than anybody else. And we have an opportunity yeah. to see what people need and see how, how they can be helped and who we can connect them to. So um, I, I think that that's a really important part of the class and I'm glad that you do that. Yeah. Well, you know, this, that was a really exceptional uh, moment for me because if, and you'll remember this, but I share the same stories everywhere I go throughout the country. And one of the stories is about Houston firefighters, because I saw this, uh, this picture of firefighters actually tutoring this young man and uh, helping him with his geometry homework. And I thought it was pretty cool. And I contacted the guys and asked them what happened. And they basically said, in short, uh, he comes from a broken home, challenges there, and he's struggling with his school son to all our all the firefighters. And he's an African-American boy. Uh, they're all white firefighters that I've seen in the photos. And I thought that alone, you know, is great because we don't you know, it's not about race. It's not about color. It's not about any of that in the fire service. It's about, does somebody need help? If so, that's why we're here. And so I tell this story, how this boy, two years later, after that photo was posted on social media, two years later, he's inducted into the National Honor Society. And now as I'm telling the story, as you recall, we have two gentlemen from the Houston Fire Department that are in that room. And one of them says, yeah, that's Rodney. <laughs> and I said, I, do I have the story accurate? And he comes up and he expanded even greater on a story. I'm going to have him on a podcast, Clyde. I'm going to have him on a podcast so he can actually share that story. But he starts showing me pictures of this boy at their house during Christmas and some of the things that he's doing. He actually called him right after class to say, hey, they just talked about you in a fire class. And the kid couldn't believe it. And and But that's the example uh, that I, I think we need to see more of is that we can continue to be the ambassadors in our community. We can continue to connect. We can continue to do more than expected. And honestly, I agree with something you said earlier. You sleep better when you do it. So it all kind of does come full circle when you think about it. Matter of fact, when I do my podcast, I never have this, this uh, green screen on the uh, Northern lights, but I thought it would be a nice touch for a topic of sleep. Yeah, is, there, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to add before we actually turn it in for the night, because right now it actually is 1130 or 1030. Yeah, 1030. Yeah, you're way past my bedtime. Yeah, oh, um, this is this is really awesome. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And yeah, you blew me away. I was like, really, I, I can give you some experts if you really want somebody to talk to. But 
um, I'm, I'm grateful that you invited me. Uh, this was a neat opportunity. But I think, I think we hit everything because one piece that I didn't talk about, and I think it connects a lot with what you do, um, that study of firefighters where they, you know, found the, the ones that had sleep disorders and they offered, you know, ways to improve it. They found the one thing um, that made a difference was education. So historically, uh, in our society, we have just been moving away from our need for sleep. And so now we need to recognize why sleep is so important. And uh, they said that when they provided sleep education to members of the department, um, you know, they gave them, you know, 10 different ways to improve sleep hygiene. They went back and reached out to those people afterwards. And they found that everybody had implemented at least one, which is huge cost savings. Um, so uh, I think the most important thing for us to recognize, like within the fire service, within leadership of the fire service, if we want to improve this, we do have to educate our members. That's that's step one is just provide some education on the need for sleep and then ways to improve our sleep hygiene. So this is a good start. It is a good start. So, and, and I thank you for coming on. And Dina Ali, thank you so much. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm going to be following you uh, for a distance. I may be sharing some of your stories as well uh, when I when I teach this class, but have a great night. I should say have a great night's sleep. Thank you. You as well. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no problem. I'll talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. Okay. And be right, safe. Good night.